0: Lore and worldbuilding is all about connections. It's like cooking. You don't just offer guests a pile of carrots, potatoes, meat, some bouillon, a tablespoon of oil at the table and say, eat up. You cook them a stew. The components are richer when combined, greater than the sum of their whole. The different parts complement each other and work together to make something altogether unique. Let's talk about Lore. We've known Peter Chakowsky for a little while. We interviewed him about his Deck of Worlds, an innovative deck of combinable worldbuilding prompts to create micro settings. He even provided some vital counsel to us during the Worldbuilder's Journal Kickstarter. His tools are frequently used by Seth and many on our Discord server, so you can imagine our excitement when we found out he was launching another product, the Loremaster's Deck, which we'll be sharing today. Seth and Peter discussed the philosophy behind this new product, the need for forging connections in your setting and the power of leaning on your audience to render your world. In a break from tradition, this interview was also played on Seth's own YouTube channel, and there'll be a link for that in the show notes. We hope you enjoy.
1: We are so excited to have Peter back on the podcast. If you don't know who he is, he is the author and illustrator of the delightful webcomic Rock Paper Cynic. He created the story engine. He has built a tremendous product in the Deck of Worlds, which is a just absolutely wonderful world building tool to help you sort of unleash your creativity. He's a master of short form stories, a crowdfunding expert, if I can call him that. And he is coming out with a new product that we are just really excited to see. It's called the Lore Masters Deck. And I am so excited to explore with him the impact it's going to have on your world building. Peter, thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed
2: our last conversation so much talking about world building and I had one of those like, I left that call to go like, I always like, after I talk to someone, I'll go tell my wife about like, here's a conversation I had. I was just like, we had like these this million conversations about like world building and the perspective of the visitor and how you make it compelling and make them feel like they're part of it. And I always like, be- I remember the conversations that I leave with that much excitement, even, even years later. And so it's really fun to be back. I'd have another one of those.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you are about to launch and if I get any of these details wrong, just jump in and be like, Seth, that's totally wrong. This is the true, the truth. But you're about to launch on June 24th. I'm sorry. You're about to launch on June 20th on Backerkit, this new project, the Lore Masters deck. Talk to me a little bit about what that is.
2: Yeah, so Lore Masters deck is a new deck of creative prompts that I've been working on to help like writers, world builders, game masters, come up with the different types of little pieces of lore that make up a world and make it feel interesting and compelling. And then also that help them assemble those pieces into like a network or an ecosystem that really makes them feel connected and tangible and alive. Because I think that like one of those challenges we can have sometimes is like, we have this random idea and this random idea and this random idea, and then connecting them or making them feel like they're part of the same world becomes a challenge. And I think one of the things that was both like the biggest design challenge when I was working on this deck, but also I think the biggest design opportunity and what's really made it something that's like fun and special and different is that it really organically helps you piece by piece create a lore web so that every single part of it is connected to another part in some way that is either like meaningful or interesting or like tickles that lore itch of like when you find out like, ah, the, you know, this, this modern order of Druids was actually used to be this, secret blood cult and they're the same thing from history like those moments uh, yeah i I really like being able to set set up those like little connections that can be surprising to you as a writer as a creator and that then therefore end up being very like satisfying for for readers or for visitors too when they explore your world in whatever medium
1: yeah absolutely there's there's just such joy in being able to step into a setting step into a world and see the connections between everything so it doesn't feel like you're just sort of stumbling into a bunch of disparate scenes, but instead there's this sense of immersion that appears. Now, your deck of worlds, which I've played with myself, I've used with my kids, and it has just been a fantastic tool. So for anybody who's, who's listening to this or hasn't seen the deck of worlds, definitely check it out. But the way it works is you flip out a series of cards from a series of decks And you can use them to build. I don't know if randomized is the right term, but you can use them to sort of build out prompts that can then spark ideas and you start building that way. What I found though with the deck of worlds was that as I would do that, I would typically get one or two things built and then like prompts built. And then from there, I would start coming up with Sort of the connections between them, myself, right? And it sounds like the lore master's deck shortcuts that process by adding that functionality. Are these decks designed to be used together, or are they sort of separate pieces? I would say both. So I- okay. With all of my things that I design, I want it
2: to be a standalone product. Like, I don't want it to require you to buy a bunch of other things. I want sure. you, like, you buy this box and it comes self-contained and it does the thing. So, yeah. Lore Master's deck does the thing. You buy that and it'll you can create locations with it. You can create, like, functions of other decks that I've designed. Like, Story Engine deck, you can create characters with it. Right. Um, this deck has that capacity as well. But what you can do if you have, say, the Story Engine or you have Deck of Worlds is you can draw on those card types to supplement the a number of potential card draws and combinations in lore master's deck so yeah you can use it entirely on its own if you already have the deck then you just basically get like an exponentially larger number of potential combinations and we're going to include a little um section in the guidebook that explains like hey you can substitute card type a for card type b or you can like draft and pick between like draw three of you can draw three landmarks from the, the um mm-hmm. uh, deck of worlds in place of like one location card from lore master's deck yeah it just basically increases the number of, of opportunities that you have when you combine them and we're also working on a little bridge expansion that will like explicitly link them so cues from one type of card will call for cards from the other set that's cool to- yeah, which would be nice because then you can like, if you're doing Deck of Worlds in your world building, if you have a card that reminds you like, okay, actually this location is going to have a faction, and then you build mm-hmm. that faction with Lore Master's deck, it just creates a much more dynamic and organic way to like remember to incorporate all these cards because there's, there's enough card types now that it's it's just like helpful to have that structure to remind you like, okay, this place right. will be faction based, this place is going to have a really interesting creature, this yeah. place is going to have like a particular deity that they worship, and then there's support for creating all those types of things using the uh, Lore Master's deck or its expansions.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. So a question for you, if you're in the process or like as as you're building out these, what do you what do you call them? Tableau is the word that came to mind. But like, what do you call the what you build out?
2: Yeah, so I've been calling each individual piece of a lore web a lore prompt, okay. and I often will call because like a lore prompt can be for a faction, or an historical right. figure, or an event, or a location, an object, a physical material, or a like creature or species. Because there's mm-hmm. like a very distinct categories for these, I've been calling those like elements as well. So a card type is like one element of your lore, and then when you flesh that out with a couple supporting prompts and cues that might you know might provide some like texture or detail about this prompt. Let me give a concrete example just so that we're not trying sure. to like, oh, imagine how these cards work. So let's say we draw a faction and you know, let's let's draw a faction. Let's do this.
1: Do yeah, this let's do quickly.
2: it. All right. So I'm drawing a faction card here. On, printed on the card, there are four different cues. There are words mm-hmm. that you can pick between that are going to be like the basis of what our faction is. So our faction could be a church. It could be a mob. It could be a uh, nation or it could be a division. So like we could do I, I I like church is a fun one. I always like doing churches, uh, belief systems. I find really really interesting. So I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna go with church for this one. But I'll put that down. I'll turn the word church so that it's facing me, and that's how I know that's the cue that I'm using. Is the active cue, the one facing me. And then I'll pull another faction card. But this time I would use the backside of the card, which has like these prompts that are providing details about what a faction might be like. Mm -hmm. So some of these are backgrounds, some of these are traits, and some of these are agendas or like what is the faction trying to do or achieve. On every card, there will usually be at least two of these cues that have another icon, another symbol for another card type, which means that they could potentially connect to another card. So on this card, our church could be linked to a war crime. They could have an agenda to lobby for a specific political or social issue. They could have a trait where they consider a specific location to be sacred, or they could have a confusing or complicated constitution.
1: Any of those interest you? I like the war crime one.
2: All right. We've got a church that did a war crime. We're starting, we're going hard right off the bat. Yeah, we are. (laughs) And then right off the bat, also because the uh, war crime has an event card, we would pull an event to see what kind of crime this might be. So it could be a betrayal it could be a Mm -hmm. deluge it could be a hunt or it could be a descent
1: oh interesting i think i think that the war crime should be related to a betrayal cool all
2: right so we've got a betrayal there and then we'll grab another one of these the background that they were recently betrayed by a figure which would be interesting because we have lots of betrayals going on a trait is that they're free spirited a trait is that they have a specific taboo involving a material or a living creature or that they have an agenda where they want to study or protect a text or document.
1: What is so genius about this is like already my mind is starting to build out these stories just from these few prompts, right? So the one that immediately stuck out to me was they have a taboo about either a material or a creature, which might fit into why there was a betrayal and they committed a war crime.
2: Yeah, yeah, right? like, especially if you have a really strong like no-go zone belief, then that gives you a boundary yeah. that if it's crossed, you're going to be like, "No, we're done." Exactly. Yeah.
1: See, this is this is really just a tremendous extension of sort of the core world-building functionality of the Deck of Worlds because you're starting to add micro story to the world that you're building. And now your background is in sort of short form story, isn't that right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. A lot of microfiction writing. A lot of
2: like, can I fit a little story or a little world onto something the size of a postcard.
1: How much did that influence the way you chose prompts I think, for, for this? I project? think there were
2: sort of, I think there were two things that from that experience that really contributed to the way that I write prompts, and not just for Lore Masters deck, but also for Deck of Worlds and Story Engine. Mm-hmm. I think the two things were, one, because I was writing a new story idea or a new world idea once or twice a week, I learned to not be precious about the ideas, like to understand mm-hmm. like if this one doesn't work out, the next idea might be better. So like not being too obsessed with making it perfect was one mm-hmm. thing that really helped uh, be able to work with prompts and let go of some of that like perfection instinct that can sometimes make it harder to create. And on that same note, I'd say that also by not being precious, it gives you permission to change things right if you're like so attached to the idea that this has to be a church that this faction has to be a church and i Mm -hmm. wouldn't even consider that they're a division or a mob or a nation Mm -hmm. that that's part of their structure then uh you often miss other pathways that you could have taken to like tell a story where maybe if instead of a church they were like a particular sect of a church or they were like a division within a church or they were Mm -hmm. like a religious nation by keeping yourself unattached to like one interpretation and being more open to considering other ways of doing things you just you widen the the palette that you can use to paint your world or your story. So yeah, not being precious is one. And then the other thing that writing microfiction gave me was it gave me a lot of faith that readers and writers are really good at filling in blanks by themselves. You can't put a lot on a postcard, so you have to leave a lot up to the imagination. The prompt system works because there's not that much written on the card, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's a pretty minimal, I don't tell you what the material or creature is. I don't tell you what the war crime is. The cards mm-hmm. might, and they're gonna give you suggestions for what that could be. But you can also choose not to draw a card and just decide, oh, I know what I want that to be, or I can already fill yeah. that in. And I think having faith that people are like inherently creative, they will use their imaginations to fill in gaps. Yeah. Um, yeah, and this is actually a topic that we've talked about, like leaving room right. for wonder, leaving room for the imagination and for the, the reader or the visitor to do some of that work of filling in the world mm-hmm. makes for good world building. And I think it makes for a good prompting system because like the, the lesson that I learned from right from the get-go with even just the first story engine was don't try and do the work for the writer. Like just leave them a lot of room to do the work themselves and the mm-hmm. results they get are going to be better. The deck is going to be more helpful and effective. Mm-hmm. Um, learning to get out of the way and not overwrite the, the prompts was like, the, the you know, one of the hardest lessons and definitely required a little bit of ego death because you have to remember like, oh, the point is not about me being creative. The point is about the end user being creative and them having something to
1: work with. Um, yeah, so that's what I found. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. So microfiction is something that is very close to our hearts at the WorldCraft Club. We love it. And the genius of giving people small building blocks, right? It reminds me of Lego. You know, yeah. each p- individual piece is very specific. It's not like when you look at a block that is, you know, um two by two, like, it's what it is. It's not gonna change. But blocks can be combined to create just the most astounding things. You know, tapping into that inherent creativity in the writer and in the reader, this just is man. I'm always just so impressed when, when I see it and when I think about it.
2: It's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to see people pick it up and use it and like that moment where it clicks with like, oh, I can build what I want with this. Mm-hmm. And like with Lego, like I, I feel like, I, I don't know if this is just my experience as like a kid, but when I was a kid, we didn't have a Lego set that was designed to build one thing. It wasn't like, oh, this mm-hmm. is like, now I'll see like, oh, you can like build a pizza shop or you can build a replica model of um, uh, the castle from... Monty Python. I don't know if right. exists. <laughs> yeah. But like, for instances, when I was a kid, we just had like one box of random Lego, like yep. the most random pieces, and it required you to decide what you wanted to build and make and to, to build right. it yourself and model it. And I think what I like, or what I think makes for the most effective prompting and creative systems, not just like in the tools that I build, but in the tools that that uh, I, I look for out in the world, are ones where they do not force you to end up with something that is this particular shape, but that are an open mm-hmm. end tool for like build whatever the heck you want. Go ahead and just and run with it and stick blocks on blocks and see what comes out. Yeah, And really, it is like the shape that emerges from those larger structures that the writer chooses that are the ones that are going to be interesting and compelling and useful to them and that are going to make the deck reusable. And mm-hmm. that's the thing that I, I've found. Like, you know, Story Engine deck was released in 20 i launched it on crowdfunding in 2019 and then it was out in 2020 i still have not made the same story twice with it i just every time i go to it there's something new that comes out of it and it's because meaning emerges from the gaps between cards from the spaces mm-hmm. to interpret and from the context of one card next to each other and the way that they kind of resonate off of each other mm-hmm. um and that kind of recombinability is just like really good for creative stimulation and it, i think it makes for a good useful product because like someone can just keep going back to it and finding and they can draw from a new well every time basically
1: Yeah. And it also speaks to that idea of not having not being so committed to your end goal that you can't organically make changes as you're moving through the process. I remember as a kid, you know, sometimes my spaceship would end up as a submarine. Right. As I was building, I would I would spark a cool idea halfway through and I would be able to shift. Right. And so I think that with stories, with world building, that's one of those vital skills is the ability to sort of sift through the ideas and see what emer- see what emerges to the top. See what the cream of this of the world or the setting really is. Yeah, absolutely. So, I think
2: it's such a good piece of, of advice. Of like, yeah, just be open to that. Uh, you are getting to know your world. You are a visitor mm-hmm. in it to a certain extent. Yeah, and that, oh, um, I love that idea and being open to what you discover there. Um, mm-hmm. like I, think, I think for anyone who's done tabletop role-playing games, so many times you'll go in, you'll build a character, you'll go in, and then when you start role-playing them, you discover that there's someone a little bit different than you thought yeah. they were on paper. And if you try to stick only to the vision that you originally set out with, you're going to find this weird tension between the character you think they're supposed to be and the character they are. And being a little bit open to like adjusting that game plan, being less attached to an idea, and being open to like exploring that process is really important mm-hmm. for like good roleplay. I feel like same thing for world building. Like being open to um, the world having its own kind of life, getting to know it, adapting mm-hmm. to the ways that you find it, um, and and being willing to like acknowledge those changes and work with them leads to some like really interesting, fun,
1: and very organic results. So I'd love to talk a little bit about your philosophy on the role of lore in world building. Because we have the Deck of Worlds, which sort of builds the physical spaces of the world. We have the Story Engine, which builds stories that happen in those places. And now we're adding a new layer. You're separating it out. And saying, okay, now we have lore. So I'd love to talk about how you feel like lore is different from the concrete world that is being built and where the crossover is. Yeah, so
2: interestingly, like the deck of worlds is kind of almost a abstract map making tool when you think about Mm -hmm. it it really focused on mapping relationships in terms of space what is next to what where are those things positioned and a lot of meaning emerges from what is next to something else right like mm-hmm. a, a city that is next to a lake has a water supply it matters that it's next to a lake a coastal city is gonna be different from one that's inland the city with access to woods is gonna be different from one that has access to fields so those yeah. things matter but it's not the only way of going about building a world lore master's deck was very much an exploration in what if we mapped worlds in terms of the relationships between the things in the world that are important and the points of interest that, that like, if you were going to see this world as like an abstract painting, what elements would you render in really quickly? What mm-hmm. what really matters for anchoring and understanding what this world is? So how do we map those relationships between a faction and say the founder who left that faction and is now an independent and mm-hmm. the city that that faction leader lives in and the primary like export resource of that city and then the creature in the outlying area and the ecosystem that that resource is harvested from like what are those connections that map those things and how do we map those connections Mm -hmm. Uh, so it became about mapping relationships in terms of like connections and causality and then it also is a deck about mapping relationships in terms of time one of the sort of features of it that i'm really excited about is that if you do a event deck based prompt where you just lay out a bunch of events next to Mm -hmm. each other with some branches off of them to look at who was involved or what locations or what objects or artifacts were involved in those moments. You can create timelines. You can do like a very Mm. broad brush timeline map. So yeah, it it really is a shift from trying to map space to trying to map relationships, trying to map connections.
1: That's, that's fascinating to think about lore as the connections between all of the different events that have happened, I mean it, it's not just mapping though the event itself, right, but it's mapping the relationships between all of the parties involved, yeah right, and parties in that case, in this case, doesn't have to be a person, like you said, it can be a a resource, it can be a, a creature or a plant that only grows in a specific area, right. Yeah. I think it's fascinating to when you look at a world or when you're exploring a world even as the creator to identify what is most important in it because it's those pillars on which our our scaffolding for our world is created right you've mentioned that that you've sort of learned to trust the the author or the the reader the writer or the reader to fill in the blanks right and that's a that's a philosophy a world building philosophy that we really embrace here at the worldcraft club and so this this idea of of lore being something that you add to the physical space of your world do you think that there is a upper limit to sort of how much is good
2: yeah i i think that there is in terms of um well like i guess let's first let's talk about world building as an activity unto itself and then world building as a precursor to writing or running a tabletop mm. rpg game or some other activity that
1: that's a great distinction because i think i think that's I think a that's really an good important, distinction
2: yeah i think it's an important one to talk about here because if you're world building to world build then i'd say there's no upper limit do whatever you want be as detailed as you want and if that activity for you is like gratifying and fulfilling then like no one can stop you and no one should stop you just mm-hmm. like run with it the moment you start looking at am i going to make this into a, a setting that i publish as a wiki or a world anvil setting that i want people to be able to flick into and explore then i think you start looking at okay well what are the most important parts of the world what what defines it? what are the highlights and I, I would sort of make those decisions based on either what is most connected to other things like it clearly mm-hmm. is a central part of all the threads that hold your world together and then what maybe doesn't have a ton of connections, but has one connection that's so important that if you severed it, though, you would actually f- see the gap left behind in the world. Mm-hmm. I think what you'll find is that some lore elements kind of can be replaced. Like, you don't need 55 taverns if, if the story okay. that you're telling or the world that you're going to tell, if there's going to be one place that it's the hearth that feels like home when your adventure is on the road, mm-hmm. then don't worry about having a thousand taverns. You only need one that's going to create that sense of home. So if mm-hmm. home is one place or just a couple of places, decide what places feel like home. And then you can probably remove those other pieces because they would be redundant. I think this happens a lot, especially in screenwriting with movie scripts. You trim a lot down to get a movie down to an hour and a half and feel satisfying. So a lot of the time, like you'll start with more supporting characters and mm-hmm. you realize this character only needs one friend who's like the supporting friend who's going to be there when mm-hmm. things go wrong and support them. We can like remove some of these characters and collapse it down to like one or two characters in that role. I think you can do the same thing with world building. If this city is meant to hit the beat of like, a city that is like very militaristic, uh, then you don't need a bunch of different military autocracy cities. Just let that one be the one. Uh, And then when it comes time to actually write, that's where I think deciding what you don't have to say and that people will get is a skill that's learned with time, but I think it's really important and fun and is one of those best flourishes of world building. And it creates those moments when you are inevitably successful and you have a movie adaptation of your amazing fantasy novel. You're like hardcore fans. They'll be the annoying person in the theater telling your <laughs> yeah. friends like, you know that the like, sigil on that character's belt is because he was the warden keeper of the kingswood 300 years ago and that's a little nod to like that's what you want to not have to explain in the story but to have people piece together from the little threads you want to leave them the the room for like the detectives to have a lot of fun with that and figure that out yeah
1: yeah man i every time i talk about world building it seems to come back around to this idea that this is not a it's not just a solo act, right? As you said, there's, there's space for people who want to just world build for their own pleasure. They, they have an idea, they want to explore it. And it's fun to do. I do that myself, right? I have notebooks literally filled with ideas and places that I wanted to visit. And so I went and I visited them. And I don't know that I'll ever share them with anybody. But the idea that world building is just that I think it lacks something that the human connection that world building can give provides. And I really love this idea that as a world builder, we're not just building things for sort of the sake of building them, but we're building them because we can create connection with other people. And that connection comes through that exploration and that discovery. Right. And so as you're flipping out prompts and you're coming up with all of these ideas, what's genius about this is that given like somebody else, given the same exact flips, like if we set the deck up exactly the same way is going to come up with a totally different and unique story, a different world for us to explore. And that is just magic. It's just pure magic.
2: I love, I think almost every deck I've released, there's been a game mode where, A, you both use the same set of cards to build two different things, and you compare how those choices mm-hmm. were made, uh, and where you use not just the same set of cards, but the same set of prompts, the same final set of prompts, and you both write from that and see how how different it becomes. Again, because there's enough room left for interpretation for the, the person who's visiting this world to bring something of their own, yeah, you can end up with two completely different takes on what a church is, right? For some people, a church will be a really benevolent presence that offers support and spiritual meaning. Mm -hmm. And for some people, it will be a colonizing force that destroys and dehumanizes. And and both of those experiences are correct to the people who had them. Good world building acknowledges that there's like a variety of perspectives about what each thing in that world means, because Mm -hmm. everybody's going to have a different experience. In our world, this is why I really advocate for not just doing like God's eye world building, where like this faction means one thing. Name one political party that everyone agrees is the good political party. <laughs> it doesn't happen because it, there's a huge diversity of opinions and, mm-hmm. um, and like people, some people love New York, some people hate New York. Um, mm-hmm. There's always going to be these different takes and perspectives. And I think the more that you can lean into whose perspective am I inhabiting with the narrative voice in this moment, mm-hmm. whose assumptions am I reinforcing? That's like a really good skill to have in being able to render a world that feels like it's lived in by a bunch of different kinds of people.
1: Yeah, it's that humanizing element of saying life is not simply black and white. It is not so clear cut. You know, there there are a million shades of gray in between and depending on where you're standing, they're going to look different. Yeah. I think that's a really wise way to go about it and i think it's also really effective from you know a novelist's point of view giving your characters that depth to make them human and acknowledging that even you know even acknowledging that sometimes their way of looking at the world isn't right so we just built out this prompt with you know a church that's committed a war crime right if you ask like if you pull any of the members of that church off the street and stick a microphone in their face and say, hey, what about that war crime? They're probably going to be like, what are you talking about? That, that,
2: was, our that right? was our moment of greatest victory. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
1: you know, <laughs> and I think that story is found in those conflicts in those moments, right?
2: Yeah, who decides what the world means is such right. a interesting question, both in the way you choose to frame your story and in the power struggle for who decides within that world what the world means, who's controlling the narrative and the perspective within the world is also a really interesting question. Right. So yeah, I, I like there's just, yeah, there's so much rich, rich material in those spaces. And I like, you know, always, always be curious about those moments because there's so much you can discover if like you are open to thinking about and, uh, and learning mm-hmm. from it.
1: You know, you said earlier in the conversation, something that I think is just incredibly valuable. And that is that the the creator in a world building exercise is doing as much exploring as the reader is at you know with the end product whatever whatever that end product looks like your visitant and your world builder are not so far apart in terms of the exploration that they're doing and so i think keeping that open mind as an explorer or a world builder who's stepping in and not necessarily prescribing how everything has to turn out, not necessarily demanding of the setting that it go a certain way. I think that there's a lot of power in that to create settings that, that really draw readers that draw the visitant in. Right.
2: Yeah. I, I had an experience of that recently in my, my home D and campaign my wife is Filipina, and I was growing up in Canada where, like, when Filipinos find each other in, in any city in Canada, there's often, like, an instant moment of, like, recognition or connection. Not in the, like mm-hmm. this is not to say this is universally true for, for all Filipinos, but it's a thing that happens a lot. It's, like, Filipinos will find each other, and they'll start a conversation about their experience in, in this city. And so when I was building the setting that the game's taking place in, which is kind of a, like... Great ships, age of exploration, maritime setting with a lot of different islands. Uh, She decided to play a gnome, and gnomes have a lot in common. Just in like a checklist of like with the Filipino experience as immigrants, where like these Mm -hmm. diaspora communities, smaller, smaller, scattered groups in countries where they are not the majority uh, demographic, they'll often like uplift and support each other. Mm -hmm. And um, all of a sudden, uh, I was looking at gnomes in an entirely different way. And and she kind of pitched just through the way that she was playing the character. An experience of gnomes, at least on the island that our story was starting in, that was like really parallel to Filipino diaspora of like being seen as a certain sub having expectations placed on you and how you're going to behave and, and whether or not you're taken seriously or, or at least seen in the way that you want to be seen by the communities that you participate in. And that was like not an element that I thought we were going to be exploring in the game, but it was yeah. such a a good and interesting and emotionally complex experience to get to participate in as mm-hmm. um, as a storyteller and a role player we like okay let's explore what it means to be one of like three gnomes on this island or yeah. if, one of like a handful of gnomes on this island and the ways that you both lean into and try and push back against the expectations that are placed on you because of that role mm-hmm. uh, and that became like a really cool exploration again because i was open to and because my, my wife was open to like what if what if we are not attached to what gnomes usually mean in fantasy? And what if we instead lean into or explore, right? Like explore, be curious about this particular aspect of, of, of the way that they could be rendered in a world. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, I think, again, such a good example of how the visitant is a collaborator, right? And it's a little bit different in open role play where like, really they are creating story and creating meaning in the world directly. But even like, if you think about even just in a novel, uh, the reader is your 3D render software that is literally rendering the environment of your world. That's right. Uh, what what you have before that is just a script that is not in a computer being rendered. That's what you've made. It is the it is really the reader who is the collaborator who like renders that space and, and creates a real and subjective experience of it as they read. And I think that yeah we've like undervalued how much work and participation that involves from a reader. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why like it's so interesting. Every time there is a movie adaptation of a book, one of the things that we're all leaning in to see is what does this render look like? How does this mm-hmm. person imagine Middle-earth? How does this person imagine Westeros? How does this person imagine Star Wars? And you know, mm-hmm. we've seen Star Wars rendered a bunch of different times and ways. And it, it feels like Star Wars, but there's also something that feels different and distinct about a number of the locations or takes or, dire- or director looks at what the setting means. So yeah, I think there's very much a, a sense of participation that comes from that reader. And I think that's always really fun to lean into.
1: Yeah, man, this I love talking about this subject. I do want to shift the conversation very slightly. Yeah. And I want to talk a little bit about once you've used this product, once you have, have set out your prompts and you've started to build your web of lore, I want to talk about your experience of then taking that and doing something with it. Because I think that that the exercise of world building is really helpful, but one of the places it's most valuable is as a kickstart to producing something, right? Yeah. And so whether that is a TTRPG, whether that is a novel, whether that is a short story, you know, microfiction, whatever it is, I'm curious about, sort of your process and your experience of taking first of all, the story engine deck, then the deck of worlds, and now the lore masters deck and taking them and turning them into sort of a product that somebody else can consume.
2: So can you talk me
1: through that a little bit?
2: Yeah, I would would love to. The like how you turn pre-writing into writing and then how you turn writing into publishing are both like really interesting questions and, and complicated ones. And it depends on what your goals are. In terms of like taking say a, a web that you created with the lore masters deck and turning that into writing i would say let your relationship to the prompts that you've created be the relationship between a chef and then the contents of their cupboard um, mm. you're not going to invite someone to your house and then just help yourself and like gesture to your entire <laughs> cupboard of like dry pasta and beans and right. vegetables and whatever. You're going to like cook a meal and these are your ingredients. So I would think of the that pre writing, the world building where like you've developed some interesting factions, some interesting characters, locations. You've developed like a couple of cool material resources that are important to this world that might be part of like the magic system. You've got a couple of interesting creatures or species. Maybe you've got one big world-destroying monster. These are now your ingredients. And mm. I think the next step and something that we will definitely include some support for in the guidebook is what kind of meal are you going to plate with this? And for there, that's where like thinking about your audience is helpful. Like if you're like trying to do something for like say people who read horror, then focusing on the big world-ending monster is going to get you a little bit further than like the like really happy fairy circle in the woods. Um, (laughs) So like figuring out like what's yeah depending on what kind of genre you're trying to serve, being able to think about that will be helpful. And I think the two sort of biggest questions that we're going to focus on in the support material will be. Who is the story about who are like the biggest stakeholders in this world? And that's where Mm -hmm. I would recommend looking at starting with with figures and factions, because those are the kinds of stories that just like we as, you know, we are not creature species. We are not physical material resources in the world. We are not locations. We are people. And we relate to stories about people or things that have people like motivations. So I'd say like, look at your figures and factions and specifically look at their agendas. Like, what do they want? Um, what mm-hmm. are they trying to do in the world, and what are the obstacles to them achieving that? So mm-hmm. going through and looking at like, well, is this faction the obstacle to this character completing their character arc, or um, is like reaching this location? If that's if that's their agenda, then then what is stopping them from reaching the location? What does that journey look like? I would do an inventory basically of your world to figure out like what is the what is the what is the protein or the main event in this meal going to be, and ultimately I think that you're going to get the best material out of looking at. Who are these the stakeholders in this world who have who feel the most connected or have the highest stakes in deciding what the world means or who makes meaning in the world? Um, mm-hmm. What do they want and what are the obstacles to that? And I think that's where your story is going to be, and uh, being able to adjust the elements to fit say like if a certain theme is emerging or if you are again going for the horror vibe then being able to like even like adjust some of the choices you may have made in the prompts because like when we did the little sample here earlier every card has multiple options you get to pick an option you can go Mm -hmm. back and make change those choices later you can completely ignore the card if the card was just a starting point to getting you to decide something else that's going to be interesting or relevant Mm -hmm. or useful about the setting the cards really are just like the starting line and they are they're really just meant to get you thinking about and a few solid points around your uh, your lore and mm-hmm. from there you can just sort of pick it up and run with it so the next step that i would do is like re-examining the choices that you've made in your lore web and if you want to change any of those to better support what you now think the like emotional core of your story is going to be then be mm. open to that again be, be curious about your world be willing to explore it and the opportunities that it could provide yeah and then from there just i think every i think a lot of good stories can be diagrammed as who is it about what do they want and what what sort of shape does that want or desire or motivation take? What are the obstacles to getting it, or what, what price will they have to pay to get it? And then what will happen if they do? And I think you can find something really good there. And that's that's more for like a novel for for an open-ended tabletop role-playing game sort of thing. You're creating a setting for your characters. I'd say like the next step is write up some of these loose notes, send them to your players. And then ask, like, where do you see yourself fitting in this world? And being even able to highlight either interesting factions or locations or belief systems that they might belong to or, like, current conflicts in the events that they might have a connection to. is going to be a really good way to, like, plant the feet of their characters firmly in the earth of your setting um, Mm -hmm. and really give them, like, a place to stand for what their character is that's connected to the lore. Because I think that you just get so much more... There's so much more storytelling material that you can really use to, to involve characters in the world when they mm-hmm. have those established connections within it.
1: Yeah, you're sort of creating a set of anchors that yeah. are, going to, are going to cause them to invest. And then from that investment, you get to tap into their creativity in how the world continues to expand. Yeah. One of the experiences that I have fairly often as oh. I write is that I will start writing and then will find that my story is taking a different direction or a different shape than I originally thought it was right kind of going back to that idea of well I started out trying to build a spaceship and now here I am with a submarine you know one of the things I love about sort of the practical elements of of these of the story engine of you know the deck of worlds and I'm sure when I get to play with lore masters deck, it's going to be the same is the ability to adjust on the fly, the ability to say, well, this is going a different direction than I originally thought. I originally thought this was cosmic horror. Now maybe it's like dark comedy. And I either want to adjust what I've already created, or I want to flip out new, you know, new prompts. And because You're holding loosely these ideas because you're not saying, well, the card said it's this, therefore it must be this. You're opening yourself up to sort of this creative space of being able to make connections that you may not have, you know, organically really been able to to think of on your own. Instead, these these prompts are driving you. In specific directions. This is one of the reasons that with the Worldcraft Club, we we speak so often about boundaries, right? Giving yourself a a core concept, a place to start, which is sort of what these elements are, and then sort of setting some boundaries as you go. Well, the deck automatically creates some of those boundaries as you make decisions, you know, walking through it. Yeah, I think it's one of the helpful
2: things about having four options on the card and only four sides mm-hmm. to each card is that you're not suddenly drowning in like too much choice, but you have enough yeah. choice that you can find a meaningful option that's going to expand your world the right way. What I have found very organically, and I am curious to like discover through more playtesting how this works for other creators, but what I found organically is that there comes a point physically on the table space that the prompt is occupying, yeah. as well as in just in terms of like the number of different connections that you can spread your attention across where you're like, this feels like enough. This feels like I can work with this. And I think something that we'll probably be doing in the guidebook, uh, which I have not drafted yet, but when I get more user feedback, I'll start drafting is, you know, every three prompts, do you check in and ask like, do I know what the story is about? Do I have enough to to Hmm. create the next thing without pulling more cards? And if you do, then that is a good signal that you don't need to create more. You can if you want to, right? Like again, the the pre-writing can be a, if, if your goal is not to publish and your goal is just to spend time being creative with yourself in the same way that like, spending time doing yoga is like good for your right. body and mind then like just keep doing it do that as much as you want and and don't make the time limit like is this useful um right. but once you reach the point where like oh this is useful for the other thing i want to do which is right then trying to figure out like when when does it feel like there's enough and i think that'll be a um a, a self a self assessment that depends on what you're trying to build. Sure. But if you can answer the question for yourself, like what is this story about, and where does it take place, and who is it about, then you probably have enough to start to, to start the, the writing party and, and, and yeah. making that happen. So yeah, I think that's a. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's interesting because like, not just with world building, but like even just like when I'm plotting out a story or like thinking about what I want a poem to be about and I'm like scattering down a bunch of images that I want to put together in the poem or something like when have you done enough prewriting is one of those like <laughs> yeah. such a subjective question. And it's so hard to figure out. And I don't think there will ever be like a clear answer. Um, but, right, uh, because it
1: depends on your creative process. It depends on what you want out of it. Yeah. And it really is something you have to refine over time. Yeah. I used to do a lot more pre-writing than I do now. But part of that is just because with practice, I've built a lot of sort of these frameworks and structures in my head that allow me to shortcut the process. But I know other writers who do way more pre-writing now than they did before because they find it super helpful to, you know, fully flesh out and explore all of these things. And I love that your tool is flexible in that way, right? It it allows for the creativity of the author or the um, the game master, whoever is using it, it allows for their creativity to be sort of the focal point and the thing that shines. It's not there to replace their world building. It's there to sort of set them off on the journey and and provide them tools along the way. So yeah. I think it's it's really impressive.
2: Well, thanks a lot. I think that the um yeah the the, the... Making that possible through design really just meant thinking about like the person who uses this is going to be creative and smart and be able to do Mm -hmm. um, going to be able to build with it what they want and just trying to leave it open ended so that someone who isn't you can step in and do something fun and interesting with it is like definitely the, the the core of the design challenge.
1: So that makes me curious. At what point did you recognize the need for the lore master's deck? Right, because we talked about how the the Deck of Worlds really is about the space, building out the space of a world. At what point did you suddenly say, oh, wait, we also need something that's going to explore this web of relationships inside this space?
2: So the Lore Masters deck started out as I was looking at releasing a bunch of expansions that wouldn't necessarily be tied to Deck of Worlds or a story engine deck. But I wanted to have like a little deck for building species, a little deck for building okay. factions. I had all these different ideas. And then the more I was playing with them independently and drafting material for them, the more I was like, well, what if this faction was like an animal cult? Uh, okay. And like this animal it really matters where it lives. And so many of the mm-hmm. prompts I'm writing for it indicate where it lives. What if rather than like having to, you know, in this giant bank of prompts that I'm writing about, like animal behaviors, their, their social behavior, their hunting behavior, their diet, their morphology, what if in this giant list, I didn't have to write out like all the different ecosystems they could live in. And instead, there was a number of prompts that just said, like, they live in this location. Um, Mm -hmm. how much more remixable and layerable and how much more material is there for someone to create connections. What if when I'm creating, say, like uh, objects as using the anchor deck from story engine deck, what if those were specialized so that I could have like the locations separated out from the objects and we could learn about the properties of the objects and also the properties of the material and where those materials come from. Those materials can come from locations and creatures. Those materials can be stockpiled by factions. The more I realized that the genres of, of prompts that I was writing didn't have to be limited when those prompts could call on other card types to fill in the blank, mm-hmm. uh, the more I realized like, oh, it's it's about the connections, right? It's about right. what, what links that A to B. And that's where, um, just from a design perspective, that's where you can have so much more relayability and remixability and recombinability rather than having to like pick, I can only fit, you know, 12 prompts about where a creature lives. Suddenly every single prompt that I've ever created for a location, can be the answer to where that creature lives and that's structured into the cards themselves yeah that was a very eye-opening moment and then just figuring out how to make sure that those connections work and were balanced across the different card types became like the the, that longer drafting process but once that was figured out it was like oh this this is a lot of fun that's so cool and it's it's neat because it like reminds you to it reminds you that your world is connected right it reminds you that each of these pieces has a chance to talk to another you don't just have to have, like, a linear structure for, like, okay, right. this lore connects to this or this, or it can be a web. Things yeah. can cross-connect and, and combine in surprising ways. And especially when you end up with, like, triangles of motivations where, like, yes. this faction is trying to hunt down this def- defector, but this defector is under the protection of another allied faction that's connected to that faction. Mm. How do you resolve a dispute like that? Like, I, I just right. love seeing when the threads get tangled, and that's often where the story is, right? is where you end up. That is absolutely
1: where the story is, because that's where the conflict is. Yeah. And so immediately, I mean, you mention that and immediately a story is springing to mind of like, how would I resolve that? Yeah. And so that's that's really that's really cool. Well, I cannot recommend this enough to our listeners. Seriously, like these, these tools are incredibly effective and they are easy to use. And those two things combine together into something that is eminently practical, right? I have, for most of my worlds that I have built for most of my novels, I have flipped something out. And again, whether I used the entire thing or just pieces of it, the deck of worlds has sort of acted as this starting point, this kernel from which the garden is being grown and I'm really excited to get my hands on the lore masters deck as well and check that out exploring the connections between the beings and the objects that inhabit a world is just so fun and so I'm I'm really pumped for this thank you very much for coming on and talking to us about it where can people find you
2: my handle is usually at rockpapersnack on social, social social media, but for Story Engine Deck uh, stuff, you'll want to check out we're at Story Engine Deck on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I think that's pretty sure it's our username on on YouTube. That's so where you can find us and check out things. Also, if you just like want to try out Story Engine, I always recommend checking out the free demo. If it, this is a good way to like figure out, hey, does this fit my process? Same thing. We have one mm-hmm. for Deck of Worlds you can download for free. You can find that at storyenginedeck.com/demo. Just see okay. Like, really? hey, is, this, is this a good thing for me? Is this going to work
1: for me? Well, Peter, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us it's always it's always a pleasure it's always so much fun
0: so that about does it we provided links to all of peter's stuff in the show notes so you can link directly from here and find him on all his outlets we always love talking with peter and would encourage you to go and find him and support his latest project the lore masters deck which is currently live as of june 20 in usual fashion i'll plug our fantastic community of creatives that we keep on the Discord link in the show notes where we frequently use the deck of worlds to craft miniature settings which we then use for flash fictions and other games to help practice your writing and world building skills for seth and peter i'm james and this has been the Worldcraft club podcast we hope to see you again real soon
1: i like the war crime one all right we've got a church that did a war crime we're starting we're going hard right off the bat we are (laughs)